Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 279 and part one of my conversation with longtime professor of percussion at Southern Miss. Yep, that's right. Dr. Throwdown himself, John Wooten. We'll get to him shortly. So I am recording this a day earlier than usual, primarily because of an impending snowpocalypse. It's possible we'll get a few inches of snow, and it's also possible we'll get a foot and a half. Who knows? But in any case, Mizzou has made the smart and preemptive decision to move to remote classes for the next couple of days, and I'm glad that they gave lots of time for us to work on this. Faculty and students are now well aware that they will be remote learning for the next couple of days, and hopefully only that. So when you hear this, we may be buried or just partially buried in snow. We'll see. But for now, let's get to the warmer climate of Mississippi and today's guest, John Wooten. I've known of John Wooten for many years now, particularly through his drumline, snare drum, and drum set videos, along with getting to see him perform at PASIC a few times. I also got to learn about him through previous podcast guest, Josanne Francis, who I talked to a couple of years ago. John is currently in his 30th year of teaching at Southern Miss and has been building quite a program there. He stays active as an educator and performer in all aspects of percussion, and he also remains physically active and takes his physical and mental health very seriously. We get to all of that and a lot more in this interview, along with a couple of other notes. One, John is a very entertaining storyteller, as well as a very opinionated person. I think you'll get that sense from this interview, along with an earned E language rating. Two, John decided to start this interview by asking me a few questions, as he was not aware of this podcast prior to my contacting him. And he specifically asked that I keep this part in for others to hear. So I did. And that's going to lead off our interview. And three, we went long, so today you'll get to hear about all of John's professional activities in and out of Southern Miss, as well as his time growing up in Louisiana. Next week, in part two, you'll get the rest. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on January 6th, 2022, and it begins right now. Why, why are you doing this? John, this is my interview with you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's I'm, fine. I'm sorry, but no, I mean, no, no. I mean, as soon as I, as soon as I got your email, you know, I've had a couple other things I've done too, and I'm going. Sure. That's one of my questions. Sure. Why, why are you doing this? I, I, this is. I really like getting to know people's stories, and that's so this is. The, that's usually the answer too. Yeah. It's like it's it's is it monetary? Is it definitely not hobby? Is it just curiosity? It's is a it, lot of that. I mean, it's kind of a, it's aside from the monetary because that doesn't exist. But the other the rest of it is all is all woven into there. Um, yeah. I mean, I've kind of felt like over do, doing it over the past nearly six years now. I've gotten I've. I've I've enjoyed, first of all, getting to know people's stories. I certainly learn a ton uh, from my guests just 
not just about them, but about their the way that they operate. And I found found uses of doing this kind of thing that makes sense with teaching that kind of stuff. I mean, it, there's I feel like there's a lot that I've gained personally from doing it. I think of it, you know, in terms of when whenever we go to PASIC, for instance, and you know, you always have like the um you know, you have like the, the five, the three second conversations with people and they're just really, really, they're just, I, I can't stand them, honestly. It's just, but I mean, it's how, how that, that conference is. Mm-hmm. But like, if you get the chance to actually like go to dinner or you get a drink with someone and you actually get to chat with them for real, it's like, those are, that's what I kind of was, was thinking about. Yeah. Those are the moments. Yeah. Those are the moments. That's what you remember from the conferences. You don't remember the two minutes you had with someone, it's usually the hour that you, you happen to, it just happened to work out that way. in a lot of yeah, times it's like a family reunion. Yeah. You know, I, I really don't like family reunions because <laughs> I feel like I just spent a whole weekend not knowing anybody. Right. I didn't get to talk to anybody. Yeah. But there was, everybody was there. Yeah. So unless I go visit them one at a time, I really can't, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing at PASIC. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, when you find somebody you want to talk to, hey, man, let's go to dinner. Yeah. So let's, you know, take some time out and do it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm also, it's great for that, but. Yeah. You're right. But, and I'm also, I, I like the one-on-one too. I'm very much a, that's, I, the, it, once you get past that, I, I'm, I can very easily just kind of hang in the background and just. And I'm fine with that, but everyone's like, you didn't really talk. And I'm like, because. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I, yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's perfectly normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. so uh, has the interview, has the interview started yet? I mean, I started recording, but no. Okay. <laughs> I just, that's mostly to make sure that I've got kind of the, all the. I, don't know, I, think, I think this is good stuff right here. Well, wait, maybe, well, maybe I'll keep it in. I'll, I'll see how I feel about it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's like John specifically asked for this segment to be in. Yeah, I think people. I'm not. If I'm curious, that means other people are too. I mean, sure. I think people need to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So, John, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. Um, at the university. Oh, or, or uh, and outside too. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's that's a big question. I'm I'm the kind of guy that likes to eat his cake. You know that saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too? Mm. BS. I mean, <laughs> if I'm going to have a cake, I'm going to eat it. So I got I do a lot of stuff. Maybe too much. Maybe I spread myself. I, I've been told I spread myself too thin many times. But I like it. So I'm going to continue to do so. But uh, as far as the university, I'm the I'm the director of percussion studies at Southern at, University of Southern Mississippi, Southern Miss. And uh, I am the only percussion professor, full-time professor there. We do have an adjunct, and uh, Tony Michelli teaches vibraphone. Man, I have four graduate assistants. So three of them are doctoral students. One's a master's student. Um, so I have help, but it's uh, I, there's no other full-time faculty. And we have about... Any, it, it can range anywhere between 24 and 30 percussion majors with the grad students. Uh, and that's a, I like to keep it in that range. Um, but I, I 
teach applied percussion and I teach just about everything. I have these guys teaching specialties, whatever they're specialized in. And it's kind of fun because I do, as I get different grad students and they specialize in certain things, like right now we have Robert Palameke studying his DMA and he's, he's like, uh, you know, Mexican marimba guru. And, um, He's not taking marimba lessons from me. I'll say that. <laughs> Teach him a lot of other stuff. So, so right, while he's here, I really have students focus with him on marimba, and I get to teach a lot of drum set, snare drum, and you know whatever else. And it'll change, you know. So, and then I'll get a grad student in here who specializes in drum set, and then I'll go teach more marimba and uh, vibraphone or what what have you. Whatever whatever is needed. And I like it. I like the variety, you know, of doing that. Of course, uh, I do. I do um, percussion methods. However, I do have grad students help me with that as well. Uh, I have percussion uh, composition and arranging, which is probably my one of my favorite classes. Uh, and then I have all the ensembles. We have percussion ensemble. Well, all the, they're all percussion ensembles, but we have the large percussion ensemble, which I do, and that's generally pop jazz music. We don't do a lot of and classical, just not a lot of new music. I had my share of new music, and I just, I just don't. I, I can say this now because I have tenure and I'm 59 years old. I don't like a lot of most of the new music. I was going to say a lot of, I'll say most of it, almost all of it, and. And always, I asked. I I remember asking my professor at University of Iowa, Tom Davis. I said, "Am I going to go to percussion hell because I really don't like this stuff?" He goes, "Well, if you do, you're going to be in good company." <laughs> I said, "Oh, this is awesome! What a great answer!" So I said, "Okay, great," because that bleep blop stuff, blink 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 blink. I mean, why even write that down? Yeah. Any, anyway, I'm going to get off that. Uh, so I do percussion ensemble, and we do chamber ensembles, and we do some new music, but I have my grad students teach a lot of that because they need to learn how to teach it. Believe me, I've done, uh, you know, John Cage, tons of it. I was in the new music lab at North Texas and at University of Iowa, which was Steve Schick's old gig at University of Iowa doing new music. So maybe that's, that's maybe I've had, I just had my fair share of it, maybe. Maybe that's the case. Okay. Um, so we have, and then we have so we have chamber ensembles. The grad students are in charge of those, and then we have a steel band program here that's pretty big. We have Samispo Southern Miss Steel Pan Orchestra, which is about forty members, um, and it's a. I'm very proud of that group, and I love rehearsing and performing with that group. We've had lots of different steel pan artists coming here and just rant and rave about the quality. Of, of that ensemble. So if you get a chance, go look up Somispo, S-O-M-I-S-P-O, Southern Miss Steel Pan Orchestra. And then we have, a, we have a beginner band, and then we have a community band too, steel band. And then within the percussion ensemble, we do, we also, this, it, it changes each semester, we do something a little different. We have a Latin lab every other semester. So the students are studying uh, salsa music, Cuban, Puerto Rican, uh, origin music, and then also uh, we'll we'll change that up and do samba. We'll do uh, uh, Brazilian music as well. So 
Um, yeah, and that's about it. There's some things I won't get into, like Gamelon. I just I don't have the time or the space or the patience, you know. So, um, and then of course, as a senior faculty member, I have to, you know, I'm on committees, I'm on the executive committee, and all those sorts of things. And I, that stuff, I I really despise. I don't, you know, I figure that's what I get paid for because I don't like it. So the rest of it, I love. I love going to school every day. I, I, you know, it's great. I do my job. They, I have a very, very long leash. Nobody asks, you know, and uh, because we have a great program. So nobody asks any questions. Yeah. And then outside of that, I do a lot of other things. In fact, I'm working on my website right now, johnwooten.com. All those like the river. You're supposed to ask what river. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's, <laughs> okay, it's, it's all right. Do you, do you want me to do you want me to play along? I mean, I'm more than happy to do that. No one would know. I would it's all JohnWooten.com. All those like the river. Wait, what river? I don't know. I don't oh, know any. Okay, it's just it's just a joke. So you remember? Oh, I like it. My name. That's all it is. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then um, so I'm busy doing that, and I have uh, I teach classes here so i'm all set up because of the pandemic i got this studio set up i can teach anywhere in the world i teach lessons i teach i have a master class every saturday where we go through my um, right now we're going through my rudimental remedies book and all that's online in a subscription uh format on my website if you're interested in going through that it's not for the faint of heart there's no shortcuts you work hard and you yeah you know but uh, I'm doing a lot of work for Drumeo these days. Um, I'm do I'm one of the coaches, so I do a weekly. I've been this whole past year. I was doing a weekly master class every Thursday called the Doctor Throwdowns Thursday Throwdown. Uh, so this next year, the format's changed a little bit. We're doing, but I'm doing a whole thing on Latin rhythms. So there's all these all and all of these things for Drumeo are drum set oriented, whether it's rudimental technique or whatever it's all uh you know this is mostly drum set students uh or hobbyists mostly drum set hobbyists on that on, on that uh app but um it's been a lot of fun and i'm doing i'm doing this year i'm doing latin rhythms and their their origin and original instruments and then how to apply that on drum set so each month, in fact, I got the list right here. I'm doing Bossa Nova, which I just finished, and I sent them all the videos. And so it's, you know, it's all where Bossa Nova comes from, from samba. So I, I demonstrate the samba instruments and then how they took, they extracted parts of that to play for Bossa Nova. And then the second half of the video is how to adapt that to drum set. And then I wrote a tune that they can play to, has a chart and everything. And I'm going to this is a huge project, actually, because I'm uh, th this is what I do. You know, I, I, I get these things and I bite off way more than I can chew and then see if I can finish it. So it's 12 it's 12 beats or grooves. Bossa Nova, Cha Cha, Bembe, Zouk, Mambo, Samba, Calypso, Bayon, Mozambique, Bolero, Merengue and Ishicha. And I'm taking each of those playing the original instruments and then on drum set 
but I'm writing a chart for every one. So I'm going to use this with my students. They'll have to sight read the chart. There's a melody they have to sight read. They had to play the chord progression. So each one's going to have a different chord progression issue thing. This this first one was a two five one. I think the cha cha I'm going to do are just a uh, a dominant a one four five uh, thing. Like like uh, Oye Como Va, which mm -hmm. is just one four five. Yep. And then uh, and then each one's going to be like a minor key, melodic minor, and then there'll be a different theory uh, issue for each one topic and so they'll be comping improvising sight reading uh and then i'm also going to write a rudimental snare drum solo that goes with each one so it's like a, a whole curriculum 12-week curriculum where you learn all these styles but you also have rudimental snare drum a timpani piece i have a timpani piece playing bass lines having the pedals and then improvising and sight reading as well as drum set so that's what I do. And then and then I also gig. I have a salsa band. We got we haven't been playing the last two years, but we just we've been talking about starting to rehearse again. And then I have my uh, Calypso band, Kaiso, which I which is always ever changing, but I, I really enjoy doing that, playing pans and I sing. So and I do a lot of solo pan gigs where I play steel pans and sing, you know, at the casinos or anything i mean i i i'm a i'm a musical prostitute i will i will i will do anything because i will find a way to enjoy it you know <laughs> i mean and you didn't even mention the the uh well you kind of did the rudimental i was like the marching stuff well that's what i'm known for that's yeah. the thing that's what i'm known for so i do works i do clinics all around the world and uh, I'm a I'm an international clinician for Pearl Drums, so um, they've been great to me to help me travel, and uh, and then as as well as my other sponsors and Vic Firth and Zildjian and Remo and I, this this past couple of years everybody's tightened their belts except for Pearl. I gotta say that Pearl <laughs> has been outstanding. Um, everybody else has pretty much tightened their belts, but. I get called because of YouTube. I guess I guess it's because of YouTube. I think I think when I think when I put up a bunch of videos on the Vic First site for the rudiments, you know, uh, my phone started ringing a lot more. And uh, I mean, all and and because of YouTube, I think education around the world is easier. People are learning stuff that they was impossible before. But they're also meeting people like myself. And I get invitations and I go down to Argentina, Brazil. I mean, in the last five years, I've done I've done festivals, percussion festivals or workshops in Argentina, Brazil, Peru, Colombia, I think three times in Colombia, uh, Mexico a couple times, different parts of Mexico, Puerto Rico, Trinidad, um, then on the other on the other side of the lake, we we were in Spain for three weeks in, in September and October. Canary Islands. I did a week in the Canary Islands at their university there, the conservatory. Big concert. It was a lot of fun. Of course, they and they love the rudimental stuff. I mean, because it's so different from anything they have. Mm -hmm. American rudimental drumming. 
So you get up there and play some fast rattle cues and flip a few sticks, and they're just like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going, wow, you guys are easy. No, it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's impressive, and I don't want to downplay it. It's, it's, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, and, I've, and I feel very fortunate, you know, to be able to do that stuff. So, yeah, we're planning trips now. We're going to Poland in March for a festival. Uh, and then, and then we're doing, and because of that thing I did in Spain, where I was also in Madrid and Valencia, um, we're doing a drum camp in, in July in Southern Spain, like a whole two week drum camp. It's like, awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, I do all that. So my frequent flyer miles are like through the roof. I can't even spend them. It's like, I've got so many. That's awesome. It's a. You see what I mean when yeah. people ask you how you're doing. Yeah. I almost hate to tell them. No, it's, it's like, great. It's like, oh yeah, I feel a little guilty. Well, but I. But it's not like you haven't earned these opportunities, or it doesn't sound like you don't want to do them. I mean, it sounds no. like if you would want, if you want to do them, you're doing them, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not that. It's it's here's the thing is I know there's there's several people that can do what I do. And but they're just not getting the the opportunities because I was there. Yeah. I mean, I was at a, you know, I I've, I've been at that point where I'm going, why isn't why isn't anything happening? Why is anybody calling me? I mean, I'm yeah. busting my ass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I'm just not getting the calls or the gigs, you know, it's just not working out. I haven't been I'm not it's like the Dr. John John song, the other the, the real Dr. John. I I wasn't in the right place. It must have been the wrong time. Yeah. You know. So it's it was that sort of thing. And it's there's a lot to that, being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So I I like I said, I count I count my blessings or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. And I think that's I think I think that also translates mm-hmm. into success. Yeah. I've been told this, but I can also, if I step back and look at it, I can see it is where if you love what you're doing and you're just having fun, there's a confidence about it that is contagious. Yeah. I mean, you can't, it's like smiling. You know, I tell my students all this all the time. I said, man, y'all need to smile more. <laughs> so you want to know how to make somebody smile? You want to know how to make somebody feel good? Just smile. Yeah. And they're going to feel better about themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's, but that's true in all contexts. When you're playing a gig, just smile at the other musicians. Yeah. And you're, you're likely to get called back. Yeah. If you just, if you're just a good person, when you go to that gig. Right. If you, if you mope and, oh man, like I did, I, I'm guilty when I was at North Texas I had to play all kinds of country gigs at VFWs. The only gigs I could get mm-hmm. because there were so many incredible drummers over there and there weren't a lot of gigs. Yeah. I played VFWs and I played boom chick, boom chick, chick, mm-hmm. boom chick, <laughs> Roll out the barrel. Still got it. <laughs> and I know I was back there going, oh my God. And they love it. They're like more yeah, people are loving it, and they're yeah. looking at me like, "What's your problem, dude?" And this is this right. This is awful. I'm a, I hate country music. 
like Buddy Rich, you know, he says, yeah. what are you allergic to? We went to the hospital. He goes, the only thing I'm allergic to is country music. <laughs> I mean, he said well, that I, without I, cursing? I'm kind of shocked. Yeah, well, I don't. He, he may have cursed in there, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of that way. But yeah. I, can, I can embrace it, whatever. I, you know, now, back then, I was less mature. Yeah. Well, there's a couple. So the first thing I was thinking of just now with the the smiling thing is, you know, it what goes a long way is is looking at someone being like, hey, like, you know, give them like the like the nod. Like, yeah. that was pretty yeah. good. You know, like that. Right. Just one of those every once in a yeah. while. Yeah, it goes a long way. I should say this. A large part of my job at the university is psychiatry. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seriously. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how much, I mean, that's a part of that gig. Yeah. Is, is dealing with people's personal lives. Yeah. And, you know, the life lessons that you have to teach them, you know, yeah. and, and I accept that because my teachers did that for me, Marty Hurley mm -hmm. uh, and Tom Davis, Robert Stroman, the life lessons they taught me were, were Man, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I can't thank them enough. I mean, it's, it's right. because I am who I am because of those people. So with my students, I tell them, I said, you people, y'all need to be the perfect gentleman or the perfect lady at all times, whether it's in a conversation or in an ensemble. I said, you know what? A gentleman is somebody that walks in a room and makes everybody else feel better about themselves. Not, and not focused on himself, but everybody else feels better and a smile can do that and when you're in an ensemble you want everybody in the band to feel better about themselves yeah. it ain't about you right if you think it's about you and you got to show off and prove something man you got you got some lessons to learn yeah and you'll learn them because you'll get burned or, or told or just won't get any gigs right so, man, if you if you if you play a gig and everybody feels good about themselves and they 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 like what you're bringing to them and how they you make them feel, you will be called back. So that I mean, and that's that's a, that's my definition of a gentleman or a lady. Somebody that can do that. Put some of this together that you've told me about what you do. So, uh, so I've got a number of questions I'm going to ask now. Okay, sorry, sorry, that was kind of I told you. I told you I do so much stuff. I also mow my own lawn. Nice. And I mean, we have a nice house and yard, and, you know. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of other stuff. I play basketball. I play tennis two or three times a week. Nice. That's good. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here's keeping this thing. in mind. Here's, here's another thing I tell my students. I said, y'all need to take care of yourselves. Y'all, some of y'all eat like shit. Can I say that? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got knee rating. Go ahead. Y'all eat like shit. I mean, I've seen what you eat. That's garbage. Y'all don't exercise. Y'all, yeah. you know, you play video games all day. That's not exercise. That's right. not, that's, this is not exercise doing your right. thumbs like that. You, y'all got to do something. I said, because you're going to have diabetes by the time you're 30 years old. You're going to be, you know, have to do insulin shots. I mean, you, your health is going to be crap. You're going to have a heart attack when you, when you're 45. I, man, you can't play music. If you're dead. Right. So what's more important than practicing? 
health, yes, yeah. a healthy life. You know, keep yourself healthy, and you'll be able to live a lot longer. So therefore, you'll be able to play music a lot longer. Yeah, hundred percent. There you go. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, so, so here's so again. No, I appreciate. It's fine. I'm totally cool with you, like laying it all out because that helps me. Now we, now we, we have. I have things to ask you now. Okay. Um, so first thing is, tell me about getting the position at Southern Miss, where you were before. What was the kind of the situation you came into? Um, that we'll start there. I kind of feel guilty about that too, because I know so many of my friends, my students going to audition for jobs and job after job after job, auditioning, getting experience, you know, and, and just not finding anything or taking 10 auditions so they can just get one callback. So I was at the University of Iowa. I was the director of, I was athletic, athletic band director. Oh, okay. So I did, well, assistant athletic band. I didn't do the march band. I did the drum line in the marching band, but then I did all the pep bands, some mm-hmm. basketball games, which was a blast. Big Ten basketball. Oh, my oh yeah. God, that was fun. Wrestling. Wrestling at Iowa, which is oh, yeah. a story. I come from South Louisiana, so what we call ras- wrestling is wrestling. You know, it's fake. Yeah, yeah. It's like when they told me, they said, you got to go. The day they told me you have to play pep band, music at the wrestling matches i'm like going what are you kidding me that's a joke and they and they're like what wrestling here is not a joke it's very serious they were like 10 10 years in a row national champions yeah oh yeah and then i went and saw one of the wrestling matches i said oh oh this is a thing okay this is different yeah (laughs) this is very very different yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this is so intense. I yeah. can't believe it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. So, anyway, I did that, and then I, uh, I was actually hired there as a as a faculty member, but employed by the athletic department. Hmm. So I got through that loophole. I said, "Well, I need to work on my doctorate." I didn't yeah. go there for my doctorate. I went there for the job. Yeah. And then I met Tom Davis. I said, "This guy is amazing," and very, very you know, un, under the radar kind of guy. We're no, oddly enough. Wasn't there, what wasn't the basketball coach, Tom Davis? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so the basketball coach was Tom Davis and yeah. the percussion professor was Tom Davis. And I think they're both Dr. Tom Davis's if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, Tom Davis, uh, the percussion teacher was, didn't have his doctor, but the, the coach did The coach did the yeah. basketball coach had a doctor. Yeah. The percussion teacher did not. We got you. Okay. And he's well. He's from Chicago. He grew up playing in the Dick Shorey Ensemble with Gary Burton, mm. and uh, yeah. He's, so he—that's where he came from. But what a great teacher! Oh my God, fantastic. He's passed since, but okay. So I studied with him. I did my doctor with him, and because I knew if I wanted to continue teaching college, I I had to get it. I'm, and I'm and I'm sorry, it's not an honorable thing. But I got my doctorate almost 100% for job security. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm a better player. I would have kept playing no matter what. So, But I have it, and I worked my ass off for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> so right after that, I I applied for I applied for jobs that were open, and I got I got three uh, callbacks or three uh, interviews. <clears throat> one was Appalachian State, the other one was Fresno State, and then here at Southern Miss. And uh, I came down to Southern Miss first. And it, this is the closest to home for me because I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay. So this is kind of really the one I want. And I knew that they had a pretty decent music school here uh, just because I lived kind of close. And, uh, big marching band program, which is one reason. I mean, they were looking for somebody that was, you know, marching band friendly. They didn't want to get somebody in here that, you know, you know how some schools are like, the applied professors like, no, marching bands, the devil, you know, uh, they didn't want that. So, um, anyway, I did the audition and the day after I got back, I mean, actually the, I got back, I flew back to Iowa and I got back and I got a phone call and says, the job's yours if you want it, you know, said, I said, what? I still got two other auditions to do. So I said, so I had to call around. They said, well, we need, you know, we could, they kind of, they gave me a, a, a deadline and I thought about it and I said, man, I really don't want to move to California and Appalachian state, you know, I had to buy a four wheel drive truck to, to get up in the mountain. And it's not near a lot of civilization. I said, it's true. It's beautiful, but I don't know. I said, yeah. you know what? Let's do it. Let's just do it. Yeah. I said, I could always, you know, go somewhere else after that. But that was when I was 29 years old. Mm. And that was 30 years ago. Wow. Awesome. So this is, yeah, this is my 30th year at uh, yeah. Southern Miss. I just finished, or I'm in the middle of my 30th year. Fantastic. So, uh, I thought about going other places a couple of times. I applied at other places and, um, didn't get a call back or anything. And, um, that was humbling. Hmm. You know? Now, when you did that though, was that because, because there was another job that you were interested in or was it because you were at the point in your like tenure way where it's like, you need to show value, you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of like going up for promotion. Okay. Yeah, a little of both, but mainly it was you know I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna step down to a school sure. or or move across. I was it was gonna be a jump up or I, I wasn't doing it. So these were big big schools. Yeah, I'll tell you they were Indiana and Miami. Okay. And uh, I didn't get anything. And mm-hmm. Miami was a little shocking because Nay Rosaro, who's a good friend of mine, was there, and mm-hmm. he even called me. He says you need to apply. This is your job. So I was like pumped up. I was like, yeah, yeah. Miami, okay, this could be cool. So I didn't even make the finals. Yeah. You know, but then here's the thing, you know, a committee, and I've been on many committees, and each committee is looking for a certain person. Right. And what and there's some great people in every search, but it, it's got if you don't fit the bill of what they're looking for, yeah, forget about it. Yeah. And when I saw who the finalists were, I'm going, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not anything like those people. Right. So that's not, they weren't looking for me. They were looking yeah. for something else. That's okay. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. But imagine, I just thought, man, having a steel band in Miami. Oh, yeah. what? 
we yeah, yeah. work our tails off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So so when you get the job at Southern Miss, what what's kind of the the lay of the you obviously you knew about the the marching band was really prominent, but what was the rest of the program like that you enter? It was um a well-rounded program. I mean, a lot of everything. The orchestra here is very active, very good. Women Ensemble was very good. Tom Friskilla was the director of bands at the time, and the Win Ensemble was just, it was outstanding. Still is, still is. Great organization. Um, the percussion program, Sherman Hong was here. I'm only the second professor, percussion professor at USM, you know, mm-hmm. which is actually... Um, quite common in a lot of schools, like at yeah. Iowa. Dan Moore, he's the, he's only the second one after Tom Davis. Tom yeah. Davis, was the first one. So a lot of schools, you know, the, the percussion programs really didn't start until I mean, the first one was in the fifties, right? So Paul Price. So I'm only the second one. Uh, so there wasn't much. How was the equipment that you were? And facilities. It was pretty want. dilapidated, and, mm-hmm. and it's still a struggle here in Mississippi. You know, we the, the budget's not very high. Yeah, I am in a state that you know doesn't look highly upon higher education. You know, unfortunately, I mean the school's excellent in in spite of all that. Mm-hmm. The faculty here is they're outstanding. I mean, the, the stuff we do here is just really uh, some of the best stuff you see in the country. I mean, just really, really good, high quality stuff. And um, and the jazz band director has a has a uh, little saying. He goes, "We have we have there's state of the art equipment, and we have art of the state equipment." <laughs> so I've never heard that, have, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, we we have what we need now. When I go other places, like when I was in Tenerife in the Canary Islands, I was looking at their facilities, going, "Oh." Oh my God! Unbelievable. They had they had thirteen five octave marimbas and twelve percussion majors. Wow. What? Yeah. We have three and thirty percussion yeah. majors. You know, got to, We have to make a schedule for people to practice. Right. So, but we have a lot of great stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, we we own we pretty much own the basement of this of the performing arts center. So we have numerous practice rooms. Uh, we have enough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's open 24 hours. Guys practice all the time. So, you know, a lot of schools I go to, they got limited hours when they practice. And, and the equipment is, you know, not accessible or whatever. Ours, are, it's, it's always there. So how did you end up building the steel band portion Particularly if you have that many members and you need a place to store and practice. Right. So our percussion room, we have, it's a, you know, decent sized room. We can put the entire, now we had to knock a wall out. So it's two classrooms kind of put together Mm -hmm. with the wall gone. Um, We have all the steel pans pushed against the wall and on the small ones up in, in in a rack. And all the other large ones pushed up against the wall, percussion and ensemble set up. And when it's time for steel band, we have to actually take all the keyboard instruments and put them in the hallway mm-hmm. and then set up. But it's a routine. Everybody knows what to do. It, you know, 
we have enough room to do all of that. And, uh, and when we started, I, I mean, I actually, when I got to Southern Miss, I never played steel pants. I saw the steel band at North Texas. Iowa didn't have one yet. They didn't have steel pants either. Dan Moore brought that there. Um, but at North Texas, the steel band was phenomenal. I mean, just, I loved them. But I taught the drum line and I, and I did applied lessons and, uh, and I was in the wind ensemble and I played in a reading band and that's, I couldn't do anymore. I just couldn't do any more. I would have loved to learn how to play steel pans there, but I couldn't. But one day I remember going down, um, Dr. Chitroma told me, he said, Ellie Minette's here. I said, Oh, I said, I want to meet him. This is, you know, he's, he's, he's legend. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I went and talked to him and, and then I watched him tune pans all day long. It's like a Saturday. I just watched him tune pans and tell stories uh, about him growing up in Trinidad and, you know, his whole, his life story. He's just, a, he was like a walk. It was like listening to a, a walking history book. And, uh, and actually I was, we became friends after that. Um, I mean, till the day he died. Um, so then I went to Iowa and I studied with Tom Davis, which is mainly vibraphone, comping. His his specialty was jazz vibes. So I, I studied jazz vibes, which, believe it or not, while I was at North Texas, I didn't study any jazz. <laughs> like none. It was all classical. Mm-hmm. Memorize a marimba piece, come back next week kind of stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, I guess has its benefits, but I don't. I don't really see them that much anymore. Um, you know, knowing the music, the theory and everything behind it, I think is much more important, but that's another. Right. So I learned that from Tom Davis. And when I got to Southern Miss, I said, I want to start a steel band. I want to learn how to play. Yeah. So I went to the, I went to everybody. No, we don't have any money. There were no money, no money. So I went to the president of the, of the university because he was a fan of the drum line and everything. I said, Hey, this is what I want to do. You have any ideas? He goes, how much do you need? I said, I need $20,000 just to get started. Some seed money. He goes, okay, no problem. I'm like, what? That's, that's how easy it is. Just got to ask the right person. Yeah. So we bought one lead, double seconds. I think it was 20, might've been $10,000. One lead, double seconds, cello pans, a set of basses, a new drum set, and that was it. And was that uh, a six or an eight ba- bass? How many bass? Six. Okay. Six, yeah, six bass. And then, so that was it. And then after that, I would try and find money here and there, but I, I and then I went to Trinidad a, a couple times. I played Panorama and stuff. And then I, I started buying my own instruments. I said, man, waiting for the university to come up with money. It's like, it's like trying to get blood out of a rock. I said, so I started buying my own stuff. So I bought several instruments, leads from Trinidad, double seconds, guitar pans. Mm -hmm. I didn't buy any basses, but started boosting. And they were my personal instruments, but they're, and they still are. They're over at the university and we use them. But then, and then I started as we gained popularity and that gives you some, some traction and, uh, with, with, uh, donors and people started donating money. So we started buying more pans. So now we have, uh, 
actually, I haven't bought many lead pants because I found a lot of the students will buy their own. They buy their own lead pants. Yeah. It's the easiest one to buy, you know. Right. So they buy a lot. But we usually have, I think we have seven or eight at school. And then a few students bring more in. We'll have as many as 12 sometimes. Depends. It ebbs and flows. And then I think we have, counting all the instruments I own and the schools, we have a double tenor. And then I think four, five, yeah, five, five or six sets of double seconds. Mm-hmm. Three, three sets of guitars, I think. One, two, three. Two set, two cellos. And then a tenor bass and then three six basses. And then a few other students have their own, you know, and uh, we have alumni playing the group as well, mm. which is really the reason the group is as good as it is. Not because they're ringers, but because they bring up the level for all the undergraduates. Yeah. And uh, people, people have criticized me before. Oh, man, that's not fair. You got, you know, you got non-students in there. I'm like going man this isn't a, it's not a competition right i'm not competing with anybody i am i'm looking out for my students right and i'm looking out for this ensemble to have so everybody has the best experience and by having some of these older people in the group let me tell you something those those young students man they just they just rise to a level they didn't know they were capable of and it's the reason you know it's the reason when students graduate from here, it's one of the biggest reasons they're as good as they are because of the environment that we create here. I tell people that all the time. I say, I don't know that I don't know that I'm that good of a teacher, but I do know that if someone's in the right environment, they're going to grow. Yeah. And they're going to grow exponentially if that's a super good environment. So that's all I try to do is create that kind of environment. Right. I'm glad that you mentioned it's not a competition. Well, that's that's what everybody thinks. You know, it's it's it's, it's the American way. Everything's got to be a competition. Right. Got to have a trophy. You know, yeah. and uh, I mean that's unfortunately that's one reason a lot of students stop playing music after high school. Yeah. It's because they're in this competitive situation, and now they they can't compete anymore. Right. They were, but that's what they were taught. Music right. is competition. And I mean, I was taught that. I mean, and then I had to think back. I really had, you know, the reason I started playing music it had nothing to do with competitions. I couldn't, I didn't care about competition. I just wanted to play drums. Yeah. It felt good. I loved it. Yeah. I loved making music. I loved playing drums. I loved beating on stuff. And then you get into the education system and it's all about this competition or that i mean it's competition year round in high school mm-hmm. you know you got marching band where you work on six minutes of music for an entire semester that's absurd yeah you know and then you have concert band or indoor drum line where you work on another six minutes of music less than that because most of the time the the battery tacits so it's like three minutes of music for an entire semester Right. And then your concert band program, which may be you counting for, you know, I don't know, two minutes before you play triangle. And you 
that's it. It's just not a lot of music. You know, we do more music in one steel band rehearsal than most than most high school students do in six months. Right. You know, so and that's what I love. I love I love that. I I love it, and uh, I'm going to continue to love it. Yeah. And I, I yeah, love making music. Yeah. I just wish more people did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It's different and different. You know, as I get to travel a lot more, you know, um, you just see how other people do it, you know, which is sometimes better than what we do or or not as good for whatever reason. You know, it's it's kind of weird. I'll go I'll go someplace and they go, oh, we want to learn the American way. What you do, it's so amazing. What you do, it's so amazing. And I'm looking at them going, I think this is amazing. Yeah. Look, I'm going to teach a drum camp and it's nothing but adults. So where are the kids at? Yeah. This doesn't this right here doesn't exist in the United States. Right. It's, it's nowhere. Does this exist? Where you get 50 grown ass adults that want to learn how to play Rademacuse. Mm-hmm. Doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, so it's, but they're like, yeah, no, but we want to do what you guys in the United States, you do. And so it's, you see what I mean? It's yeah. like best of both worlds, I guess. Yeah. But I love it that, you know, and then you go someplace and you can go to a restaurant and everybody's singing and everybody's taking part. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just things you go, wow, this would not happen in the United States. Right. So yeah. it's, it's just culture, you know, it's culture. Right. But there's, which, which tells me there's a lot of things we can do and everyone can do. It doesn't matter where you're from. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of things you do well that you can improve on, but there's, there's, there's a lot of, I should say, there's a lot of things you can keep doing and there's a lot of things you can improve on or right. change to make things better. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think that's the advantage of traveling. Mm-hmm. Is you know, what's what's the Mark Twain quote? Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. That's great. Yeah, I've, I had not heard that. That's a great quote, a, uh, and I agree. I totally, well, I travel a lot and I totally agree. You know, yeah. I just, I, I always tell myself, I wish I could take y'all with me, you know, a lot of times because y'all need to see the way yeah. other people live. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. You know, over the years at, um, at Southern Miss, what's it, the kind of the two prong question here. One is how has the, if at all, how has the job changed since you've been there and what's it like being the kind of the living history of going from being the new person to being the kind of the I can't think of the word that that, that. the old man. No, no, no. It's <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a different term. I know that's sort of it. No, it's like the um, uh, I was going to say that's not the living history. But do you, I think you understand what I'm what yeah. I mean. I can't call it that. Sure. I mean, I'm still I'm still working on this job. I'm still sure, trying yeah. to prove, you know. Yeah. This thing I was telling you about, about all the this new curriculum I'm trying to do. I'm trying mm-hmm. to make it 
to where it's, you know, a functional, I don't always tell people here. It, it, I think we were one of the first schools. I don't like, again, there I go. You see, I'm, this is part of my cultures. I'm, I'm competitive. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm naturally competitive, but when I, when I really compete is on tennis court or basketball court or something, but even just then I, I know I catch myself, we're the best or we're the first or something like that. Mm -hmm. How stupid is that? That's just ridiculous, John. Right. You know, rephrase that. So, um, but I think I introduced something here and I start, I'm seeing it a lot more but there's still a lot of places that this is sorely missed. And that is to be as functional and practical and applicable as possible. And you're in your teaching, in your program and what the students are learning. That's three words that I, that I repeat over and over. And I tell myself all the time, you know, because I came from a program where I was just told to do do this. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. And come back next week and have it nailed. You know, and that's uh, that's just an awful way to teach. I mean, just mm-hmm. I think that's just an awful way. I tell my students, I said, y'all need to ask questions. And then I was always told, don't ask questions. Just do what I tell you, you know. Yeah. And of course I did. And in some ways that was good because it was good information. But then when it wasn't, you know, like, like for example, I, I learned yellow after the rain, just like every other high school or freshman college or whatever Mm -hmm. level you are at the time when you learn it. The next piece he gave me was two Mexican dances. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's a leap. It's That's a bad leap, actually. <laughs> it's, 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 exactly. Well, you know, we didn't have as much literature back then, sure. but there was definitely several steps I skipped, you right. know, to get there. Yeah. And then here's the thing: I don't, I couldn't tell you one chord I was playing in either of the pieces mm-hmm. at the time. I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you theoretically what I was doing at all. Yeah. It was all muscle memory. Go here, go there. That was it. I have no idea. I have no idea what I was playing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then I got into all the Japanese pieces and I really didn't know what I was playing. I don't think they knew what they were writing. I think some of that stuff was just, you know, whatever. That bleep blop stuff. Mm-hmm. But it had its value in, yeah. you know, the discipline and everything. But I wish, I really wish I would have learned in a more functional, practical way where I was taught chords, you know, we, we, like the students go to theory class. Now I said, y'all are going to y'all dysfunctional theory class. We, you learn about, you're learning about Neapolitan six, but you can't play the blues. Tell me what's wrong with that picture. Right. You can't play, uh, archaic blues, archaic blues, a one, four, five progression, all dominant seven, all the same kind of chord. Mm -hmm whether you play blue scale, mixolydian, you can't do that, but you're learning Shankarian theory. That's, that's wrong. I mean, it's just not, that's bad education in my opinion. So we, we try and do as much of that here as possible as we practice theory. 
Yeah. We, we practice it on our instrument. Mm-hmm. And we start simple. You know, start simple and then get going. By the time, you know, and then I teach them what I know. And by the time I, they get to a certain level, I have, that's why we have Tony Michelli on our staff. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest vibe players on the planet. He, he, and one of the greatest teachers too. I mean, he's, he takes them to another level. Yeah. And honestly, and the way it should be, some of my students, when they leave here, are better vibraphone players than I am. Yeah. And I tell them, y'all should all be better, better musicians than I am when it all's said and done. Because I'm telling you everything I know. Yeah. And they're all like, what? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? I said, no, yeah. seriously. Mm-hmm. It should be your job as a teacher to get them everything that you can, you yeah. can get them. Yeah. By the way, I remembered the the phrase I, I had to look it up, but it's uh, the, the institutional memory. Institutional memory. Yeah. Yeah. You're the guy I'm... that everyone comes to and be like, hey, did we ever do this? And you're like, yeah, in 2002. And then yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. So what's it like? So that was the that was the part of that was like, what's it like now when you're it's like you were the new guy at one point and now you're the you're the one who knows where everything how everything's happened. Um, well, some people had their doubts with what I did. You know, sure. they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Like the orchestra director, he didn't mm-hmm. like it because you know he wanted he wanted students in the practice rooms memorizing ex- excerpts. Yeah, I said I'm not going to do that to them. That's torture. I don't I don't want to do that. Why should I make my students do that? Right. But um, and there's and then I tell people. And when they come audition here, if they say, I want to be, I want to be in a major symphony. I said, then go study with John Parks at Florida State. Yeah. He's lots really of places. Good. There's lots he's of places really you can go good. that do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he's the nearest one to us. Sure. Know? Yeah. So we compete for students in the Florida panhandle. Sure. But, yeah. uh, he's, I said, go to John Parks. He's, he's phenomenal. And yeah. he loves it. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't like it and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So here's what our program is about. If you, I don't recruit anymore. That's the thing. It's I don't recruit. I, if students don't want to come here, I don't want them to come here. Yeah. I don't beg anybody to come here. Yeah. You got to want to. So when you're explaining the numbers, it sounds like you have to be, that's max capacity. I would assume particularly oh, yeah. since hey. you're the, you're the only full-time Oh yeah. Then now that I mean, the, they know I'm kind of I'm I'm bulletproof here, so which is nice because we do a great job, and they know I'm not gonna, you know, it's like some tenured faculty members kind of just rest on their laurels and yeah. don't do any work. That's just not my nature. Right. I, that's not that's not gonna happen. Even after I retire, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah, gotcha. uh, so yeah, they know that, and that's why I have uh, a very, very long leash, and I can do basically what I want. I travel a lot. I miss, you know, I miss weeks out of the semester, and yeah, and but they know that that's that's good. I mean, it, it's it's good for the school. I don't do it too much, mm-hmm. and I take care of my lessons when I'm gone. Yeah, and when I'm gone, I'm always always come back with something else to offer. Right rejuvenated usually and you know yeah i'm happy to see my students and mm-hmm. well and it's so much easier now to be connected with them 
I mean, you could just, I mean, they can, they can send you videos of what they're working on and you can do them wherever you're at. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. We have, we actually have a face, a private Facebook page, which seems to be easiest. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just post, they post all their videos there for their lessons, proficiencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I guess. Yeah. Let's all right. Well, let's go ahead and back up. So you said that you grew up in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I'm a Cajun. Yes. They weren't they the raging Cajuns? Wasn't that yeah, their was a, are they still or did they switch? Yeah, them? still the raging Cajuns. So okay. actually one of my former students is a percussion professor there, Troy Bro. Oh, okay, yeah. Well he's he actually he was one of my he was my first student ever. Because he's from Lafayette too. Mm-hmm. He actually took lessons from me when I was in college, when I was going to school there. Yeah. He was, he was in middle school and high school, and he'd come mm-hmm. over and take lessons with me while I was in college. Yeah. I probably wasn't qualified to teach at that time, but, you know, a few bucks was kind of nice to have. Yeah, of course. Teaching yeah. drum lessons instead of making pizzas. But I did make a lot of pizzas. But um, and then he And then he marched in the Phantom Regiment when I was teaching the Phantom Regiment in the late 80s. Mm. And so he was... In the drum, in the snare line, and now he's along with Jeff Prospery mm-hmm. and uh, Holly Gary, some really really good players at that time. Awesome that I got to call friends, but also instruct and yell at. You know, mm-hmm. here and there. But, uh, yeah, he's there now. Nice. And I still have family there, so we go back. In fact, we're gonna. I think we're heading over there on Sunday to get my mom. Gotcha. Come over here. So, did, did you have any family members in the arts? All of my brothers played instruments. Okay. One of my brothers still plays professionally in New Orleans. She's a bass player. And then, but all the, all, I have four brothers and mm-hmm. they they were all musicians. Uh, my older brother was played guitar, rock, he was a rocker, he rock mm-hmm. and roll sang, you know, Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he still plays. He has a piano. He plays. He plays like at restaurants and stuff, like you know, old rock and folk stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then my then there was me, and then my next brother played trumpet. And he mm-hmm. played throughout college, but then kind of gave it up after that. And then the next one played saxophone, and then the baby brother Charlie he plays bass. He plays trumpet and bass, but. Hmm. He's a professional bass player in, in New Orleans. Gotcha. So when did the uh, – obviously the music bug was there, but when did the percussion bug specifically hit you? Oh, from day one. I mean, I get that question, you know, how, how did you get started? I said, I got started on oatmeal cartons. Hmm. My, you know, the round oatmeal cartons, you know, my mom would – the cardboard Quaker Oats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, I got it, yeah. Cartons. I had to – I put the – yeah, got it now. She would even she would even tie them together and make them like bongos, you know. Uh-huh. I'd play on them and play on pots and pans. And yeah, my parents f- said, "Well, he beats on everything. Let's get him a drum lesson." Yeah, and that was it. That was it. <laughs> so, what were you starting as uh, on set, or were you taking like? Yeah, I mean, that's or... what I wanted to do when I yeah. first got in. I wanted to play drum set. I wanted to be Ringo Starr, mm. you know, like many many other. Yeah drummers that are my age growing mm-hmm. up in, in the 60s and 70s 
Um, and the, so they got me a lesson with a, the local elementary band director. And within, you know, within a month or two, he, he said, yeah, I can't teach him anymore. We got to find somebody else because he's getting good fast. And then, uh, so I took from a guy, Louis Jewett, who was a great jazz drummer, vibraphone player. In fact, you see this vibraphone right here? Mm-hmm. This is the instrument I learned to play on when I was nine years old. Nice. Taking lessons from Louis Jewett. This was his vibraphone. So what happened was shortly after I stopped taking lessons from him, he just got, he got ill mm-hmm. and he was, he didn't play anymore. And then he passed away and his, his kids kept everything. I mean, they hoarded every little thing, including yeah. this vibraphone. So I got a phone call just last year from his daughter saying, hey, would you be interested in my dad's vibraphone? I go, what? You still have that? She said, yeah. I said, that's a, that's a Century Vibes. That's a Muster Century Vibes, right? She goes, yeah. I said, I remember beautiful gold bars. And uh, I said, we, she goes, she goes, it's in mint condition. She's, and I said, yeah, I want it. So I, I bought it from him, brought it here. This thing made in 1967. Bards are from 1967, I believe. Yeah. And um, there's not a scratch on it. On the resonators, you know, usually there's the resonators. Also. And, yeah. Not a single scratch. The bars sound amazing. That's so great. I mean, they just don't make bars like this anymore. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the that's actually the instrument I learned to play on. At nine years old. That's fantastic. And then, um, so anyway, I took from him, and then of course high school, and then I went to college at Southeastern Louisiana on a jazz scholarship to play drum set. I had I had no intention to get in drum corps at that time. Mm. So I played. I was there on a jazz scholarship. And, uh, but I was in the marching band too, and they could tell the, the jazz band director saw that I had chops mm-hmm. and I knew my stuff rudimentally because yep. I had a good teacher, uh, in high school, a graduate, uh, uh, Richard McClendon was my teacher who was, who used to work with, uh, Spirit of Atlanta. And he was a graduate assistant at USL at Raging Cages. And, uh, anyway, I studied with him. And then, so this guy said, I, there's nobody here that can teach you this stuff. If you want to continue, I know a guy across Lake Pontchartrain mm-hmm. in New Orleans. I said, I said, okay, let's go. So we went and it was Marty Hurley. So my first lesson with Marty Hurley, so man, he got this, he got the sticks out and he said, okay, this is where you play flam paradiddles. And he, you know, okay. And then he says, okay, you play them. So I was like, you know, just, they were awful. Yeah, and, yeah. He play, and he recorded them on a reel-to-reel, you know, and back then, didn't have iPhones. Right, right. So, so I played it, and he played it back for me at half speed, and I was like mortified, like going, oh my God, this is awful. Yeah. And then he did it, and he played it back, and it was like perfect. Yeah. I'm going, wow. And this is what he told me. He says, come back in two weeks, have your flam paradiddle sound like that, or don't bother coming back. Yeah. Good day. 
I'm I'm like, what? Okay, that's intense. Did he did he give you any other? Well, uh, we, we had a whole lesson. He showed okay. me how to do it. Okay, okay, gotcha. He showed me everything. He showed me, I, and I was like, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and sure. hearing at the time. And I was like, I think, you know, the thing is, Marty, I, so that became the beginning of a long friendship. Mm-hmm. Teacher is a teacher-student relationship at first, and we became friends, and then, shoot, we were family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that day, like, I, I'll never forget it. It's just, mm-hmm. just such an impression yeah. that it was made. So, yeah, I still remember that lesson. I mean, like, every bit of it. If you've heard stories about him, he, he he's tough. He's a mm-hmm. tough yeah. character. Yeah. He really can, could be mean, you know, to mm-hmm. certain, certain people. Or, yeah. But I never saw him ask anybody to, to do anything that he, that he wasn't sure they couldn't achieve, mm-hmm. you know, cause I saw him, you know, there's certain people he would take it easy on. He says, okay, well, you know, try to get here. I'm like going, what? Yeah. That's not what you told me. Right. Like, why do I have to do more than this guy? Right. Well, the reason was cause he knew I could do more. Yeah. So, and he knew how to read somebody. Yeah. And, and get at, get out of them. What, what, what he expected from him. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. learned a lot just watching, watching teach. And at that point for you, I mean, were you, you were just kind of like, I'm all open or were, did you have, were you like, did, were you at all set in your ways about what well, you had learned at that point? At that point, I, you know, I'd come back and he was like impressed. Mm. You know, I could see that he was like, wow, like you're really getting better. I leaps and bounds. And then he goes, so that later that year, so that's during the school year, mm-hmm. later that year, probably February or March, he goes, Hey, I got an opening in the Phantom Regiment snare line. He goes, I want you to, I want you to come play. I'm like going, what? That's a leap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not only did I go and play, I, he put me right, near the center of the line next to Ken and Pittick who, who just won individuals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, and this guy, you know, Ken and Pittick was, he was a machine. This guy was incredible. I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. He never lost his cool or anything. And I swear to God, I counted, you know, we had ticks back then, you know, mm-hmm. during the show, you had a tick. Every time it was a mistake, there was a tick. Yeah. Ken and Pittick ticked four times all summer long for the entire summer. I'm talking about rehearsals, performances, warmups. He ticked four times that I heard. I mean, he was just, it's unbelievable. You just, you just, I mean, you never make a mistake. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a physical thing. It's, you know, it's like, it's almost incredible. And I, and I remember one of the mistakes because he, he made a mistake. He broke. He, he broke. He, he looked at me. He goes, oops. And then he started playing again. I go, oops. I say, oops. Wow. You know, so it's like it's one of those things where, you know, you see these people you're just so impressed with. I, like, I want to be the, I want to be like you when I grow up. Yeah. 
even though I was only a few years younger. So the next year, I was section leader. It's like, mm. yeah. So when I look back on it, you know, I don't know what I did to make those things happen, other than I do know. I guess I do know because I, I see my students, you know, they'll make a mistake and I'll tell them, no, this is what you need to work on. And they come back the next day and it's no better. It's like, didn't we, didn't we talk about this? I said, no, you need, this is what you need to do. Come back the next day. It's no better. I'm like going, I don't get it. I don't, I seriously, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And you explain this to me because I guarantee you, if Marty Hurley would come up to me and say, John, you need to, your grace notes are too high or too open or, or right. something. You, you need to fix your grip or something. Whatever it was, I was like mortified. I was like, oh, what? Okay. And I guarantee you, I stayed up all night long working on that until I had it down. There was no way. There was no way I was going to let that happen. Yeah. For have him tell me the same thing twice. That, I, that was that was not an option. Yeah, not an option. So when I see students, so I guess that's maybe that's the answer. What I was looking for. So yeah. How did how did I become section leader after just you know the one year? And then I was for three years, and then and then and then uh, I took two years off a of drum corps to, to work on my masters at North Texas, and then and then they invited Marty to come back and write write and teach and so he got me to get on board with him and I was so I was the caption head actually and I and I wrote so each year as said 80 that was 87 88 and 89 each year I wrote a little more of the book like I think the first year I just wrote the opener and then the second 88 I wrote half the book including the drum solo and in 89 I pretty much wrote the whole book and uh I was yes I was 20, 23, 24, 25, 20, 26 years old in 1989 when I wrote that show. In 80, and that's the one I was very proud of, is that 89 Phantom, where everyone says, y'all should have won. I said, well, I don't know about that, but it was it was pretty damn good, I thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, the I'm going to backtrack for a sec and then we'll, we'll kind of catch back up. But when you were in, when you were in high school and you were learning the, all the, your music stuff, how you were and t getting taught, were you doing anything else? I mean, I, cause were you part, did you already think about well-roundedness in terms of, were you doing sports or student government or, or anything that was kind of filling out your time aside from the percussion? Yeah, I was, I was a jock. I mean, I, hmm. I played sports too. I played baseball, tennis, I played basketball, football, um, but I was really good at baseball. And uh, I made, actually, here's one of the, I say this is one of the biggest decisions of, of my life. And still, I mean, definitely, definitely one of the biggest decisions of my life. Because in high school, as a sophomore, I made the varsity baseball team as catcher, starting mm. catcher. So, mm. You know, so I was pretty good baseball player and um it met after school but so did jazz band mm. so i was i was told by the coach and the band director said well you got to choose like what this is totally unfair 
At the, yeah. I remember that moment. My just stomach just, I just, it just dropped. It's like, oh my God. I actually, my dad came and picked me up and I remember that car ride home. I cried in the car. Because you had to make this decision. I, I had to make this decision. Yeah. I, I said, I don't want to make this decision. I want to do both. Why can't I do both? You know, so, which I think is unfortunate, but, you know, and then I, I just, I made an educated decision. I knew a couple of friends that went into semi-pro baseball and I thought they were like phenomenal. Like, yeah. oh my God, these guys are good. But yet they couldn't, they couldn't make it in the pros. Yeah. So I said, well, if it's that hard, maybe, maybe I should play drums. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 uh, you know, the compromise was I still got to play tennis because the tennis team met at a different time. So I, I still played on the tennis team in high school. Gotcha. But I couldn't play football because of marching band. Sure. And, and I tried to play basketball, but I was too short. <laughs> I guess I could have played basketball. I, I kind of gave up. I had too many, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember why I stopped playing basketball. Hmm. I, I play basketball today. Actually, I, Shoot hoops all the time. I was nice. shooting, actually, day before yesterday, I was shooting hoops, and I kind of tweaked the calf muscle. So, I, of course, my wife, my wife just got back from the gym. I didn't go with her because because my calf was sore. <laughs> but are you playing? Are you playing just like? Are you just shooting, or are you playing pickup? I look both. Okay, I play. I play pickup. I just. I got. You got to be careful who you play pickup. Yes. With. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> no, I either play with. Smart guys my age or or experienced players that are younger, knowing that I'm going to get smoked. But I don't care if I get smoked. Right. I just don't want to get an elbow in the in the eye socket because someone doesn't know how to play basketball. Right. It's basketball is a dangerous sport if you play with somebody doesn't know how to play. Right. You'll you'll break a leg or twist an ankle or something. Well, and you, or you like, they, you know, you go up for a shot and someone wants to like block it into next week and they like, they're down, they like slam you in the neck or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's, it, it can get rough, you know, yeah. people get competitive or they start, it's the elbows. When people right. start throwing elbows around, it's like, going, yeah, yeah. come on, man. Pick up, settle down. <laughs> you can have the ball. I don't, right. I'm here for the exercise. Right. Yeah, exactly. I wind up in the emergency room. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Anyway, I play awesome. hard too, but then you forget. You for, you know, you forget about it. You play hard too. You get competitive. Oh, yeah. You go, damn, that was stupid. But anyway. <laughs> you're like, I'll stay with this guy. And then you're like, you're pull a hamstring. You're like, oh, that's now I'm just. Not yeah. But I tell you what, I, I think sports are a great thing for everybody. Like we were talking about health earlier. Yeah, yeah. One great way to stay healthy is play a sport. Absolutely. And who likes going to the gym? Nobody likes going to the gym day after day. Right. With no, you know, nothing to do but actually work out. With a sport, you're playing, it's a game. You're playing yeah. a game. Right. You know, I said, if I get, if I can hit a ball or throw a ball or something, mm-hmm. chase something, I need to chase something. Yeah, yeah. Keep my, and, then, and then I'm definitely going to do it more often. Yeah. So sometimes I go, I actually got a little routine. There's a, there's a basketball, outdoor basketball court over here in the hood. I go over there and they go, it's funny because they're always like, who's, who's this old white man out here mm-hmm. shooting hoops? Yeah. And, uh, but I'll, I'll do, I'll do 50 layups. I'll run the entire court. 
mm-hmm. I'll do 10 and shoot free throws. Yeah. And I kind of keep my percentage, you know, a little, make a little game out of it, do, and then do 15 more layups running the full court. Mm-hmm. You got to make them. If you miss right. them, you got to do it again. So, mm-hmm. and then I'll shoot three pointers and I'll go around the horn, you know. Nice. So I got a little, and by the time I'm done, I'm winded and I'm sweating. Yeah. Perfect. Mission accomplished. And, and, and my shot is a lot, I'm on point, you know. Yeah. You do that enough, you're going to be. You just got to make sure you still have the legs to hit the hit the distance. That's all. That's 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 a that's a big thing. Yeah, that's a big thing. The legs. Yeah, if you like, if I have a leg injury or something, you know, keeping your legs in shape. Don't don't skip leg day. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> actually, that's what I when I go to the gym, I usually do legs because I can do upper body anywhere. Right. You know, actually, I got weights on the floor right here. Actually, you know what? Those weights. I got a whole set of weights down here. They were Marty Hurley's. <laughs> When he passed away, uh-huh. you know, his widows, you know, had me come over and said, what, you know, what do you want? What could, you know, of his stuff? I, I go, yeah. those weights? I want the weights. <laughs> Actually, the weights. And you see that white drum right there? Yeah, yeah. That Ludwig? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the prototype that they made in 1990, actually 1990, 1981 okay. at Ludwig of the HV drum. That Marty and Harvey Vogel, who started Lone Star Percussion, yep. this was their idea, was to put the slit in it like, well, it's like a hanger drum, you know, yep. open and closed, but for marching, a marching drum. That, that is the first one made by William F. Ludwig III that, that we started using in the Phantom Regiment. And then oh, nice. a lot of freelancers were using them. Mm-hmm. I forget who else, but... Um, it's a loud drum. We still use them at Southern Miss. In fact, you see the one on the top shelf. Yep. The the well, it, you can't it's tell. Got the, it's got the collar on it, right? Yeah, but it's 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 got the it, there's a there's a slit in the drum, so there's holes. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Those are holes. Yep. Gotcha. And uh, that's what we use at the university. Mm. And I, I guarantee you, we have the loudest. Speaking of competition again, here I am. But I will say this. We have the loudest snare line in the country. <laughs> Unless they're using rope tension drums, which is what's in that drum. I got a new David Loyal drum, which is beautiful. <laughs> Love that drum. And, uh, but those drums are loud. Yeah. So when we first got them cut, I remember just a funny story real quick. The band director, we, we got them on the field. And part of the, you know, we have a, we have a really good marching band here. The low brass is really strong. We have a great trombone studio and tuba studio. So the low brass is like, boom, man, in your face. So I said, man, we got to get these snare drums louder. Got to cut through. So we got those done. Went out there with, with, I think, 10 of them at the time. We got out there and they started playing. I'm going, whoa, holy cow, you can hear the snare drums. The band director comes up to me and goes, John. The snare drums are too loud. I said, thank you. <laughs> he goes, no. He goes, really, they're, they're, they're way too loud. I said, I heard you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and you're welcome. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's yeah. Thank you, and you are welcome. <laughs> I, said, I said, mark my words. 
every high school drum line in within a 500 mile radius that ever hears of this drum line is going to want these. Yeah. And sure enough, man, you go around here, all the high schools around this area, they all did the same thing. They cut them to be like us. So. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Use that on a gig sometime. You're like waiting for the high five to come back. Like, like, why aren't you meeting my high five? Yeah, yeah. Probably not not what you want to do on a jazz gig or something. Hey, man, you're too loud. Thank you. Yeah. You're no, fired. You're, you're right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Part two with John Wooten to come next week. Stay tuned. This week's rave is the 2020 documentary Time directed by Garrett Bradley. Time is the story of a family broken up over incarceration and the ways that they navigate their lives during an approximately 20-year span. The protagonist of the film is Sybil Fox Richardson, a mother of four who's bringing up her children while her husband, Rich, is in jail for 60 years following a bank robbery, which Sybil was also a part of. When he goes to jail without a plea deal... Sybil, who plead and got out early, is pregnant with twin boys and has to navigate their lives without him, all while the film is chronicling Sybil's attempts to expedite parole for Rich. It came across by chance that while director Bradley was filming Fox Richardson's attempt for parole, she'd been given all of this footage that was shot over the previous 15 years by Fox Richardson herself. This extra footage allowed Bradley to put together a film both of Fox Richardson's and with her family, chronicling the growing up of the children without their dad, from babies to college students and medical doctors. A couple of notes about the brilliance of this film. One, the organization of the film is a perfect summation of how we all experience the concept of time. Film moves in somewhat of a swirl. You're in the present, then you think back to memories. Then you're back, then you're fourth, then the recent, then the more recent, then the far back. It's all there. You see your children as adults, and then you see them immediately as babies right after that. With the usage of footage shot by Fox Richardson, along with the current video, you get all of these aspects put together, and it's very visually active. Two, the struggle to stay motivated is apparent in this film particularly when you're trying to deal with the boring bureaucracy of getting parole. Fox Richardson not only is trying to motivate herself here, but others that she supports to stay strong and press on the system. The taxing nature of the entire situation is all there. And three, the music used for the film is perfect. Bradley found the music of an Ethiopian nun known for her piano compositions, Emahoy Guebru. The compositions accentuate the swirling, repeated lost sense of time that occurs in the film. And the film footage, which was in color, was purposefully made black and white to better match the music. It's a great accomplishment in a lyrical, haunting documentary that's well worth your time and investment. Check out Time, now streaming. And that's our show. 
Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for part two with John Wooten. Until then.